Hello, everyone. Thanks for downloading Taxpayer Beware. This podcast was created by the California Tax Education Council, or CTEC for short. CTEC is a nonprofit organization required by state law to basically do one task, and that's to protect you against fraud and help you find a California-approved tax preparer. By law, only an attorney, CPA, enrolled agent, or registered tax preparer with CTEC can charge a fee to do your taxes. Anyone who isn't one of these four is breaking state law, and there are thousands doing just that. I'm your host, Brandon Chanley. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. All right, let's face it. Tax law is complex. So complex is the reason why California requires tax preparers to be educated on tax laws. But is hiring a tax professional the right choice for you? Welcome to the season three of our episode, Tax Preparers, Legal Responsibilities to You. Pretty excited about today's podcast. We actually have three folks joining us. So I'm going to do a quick introduction of everybody so our listeners can get to know you guys. So first joining us is Kelly Phillips-Herb. She's an attorney and a writer. She's also also the author of four books, including the best-selling 100 Things You Need to Know About Money. Um, She hosts a very popular podcast called Tax Girl. She's been an editor for Bloomberg um, Tax, senior editor at Forbes, and she's written about taxes and appeared on Time, NPR, Esquire, CBS Radio, Market Watch. BBC. And it sounds like we could go on and on with numerous things. So uh, we definitely have an expert on here with us. So I'm a little intimidated, Kelly. She, that's a that's quite the bio there. That's great. It actually just makes me feel old. Like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> not a lot of stuff. <laughs> You're a podcast host, so I, I may call on you to help me out here. Uh, second, so we have Susie DiMaggio who's also joining us today. Thanks for joining, Susie. Uh, so Susie's an enrolled agent. She owns a private practice. Um, She's an expert for tax representation before the examinations, appeals, and collection division with the IRS. She currently serves on the CTEC board, including two terms as our council chair. She was past president for the California Society of Enrolled Agents, as well as the Channel Islands chapter. She also currently serves on the board of directors for the National Society of Enrolled Agents. Um, And I know it's tax season, so thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So our next is Fernando Angel. He's also a CTEC director. He currently hosts the Spanish version of our Tax Prepared Work podcast. Please do not go Spanish today because I will not (laughs) understand what you're saying. Um, He he owns a private practice and become an advocate for helping taxpayers who've been victims of fraud. In fact, just recently, he actually did one of our episodes in Spanish with an actual tax fraud victim and brought that to us. So professionals like Fernando that make CTEC so important. So I'm, I'm really glad you could join us as well, Fernando. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. you bet. All right. So let's kind of jump into the topic. Should you hire a tax pro or should you try it on your own or go on your own? We all might be a little biased on here, right? Because we want them to hire a tax pro and use us, right? But when could be a scenario where you could say, you know what, I should probably try this tax return on my own? Well, Brandon, I think if a taxpayer you know, has one W-2, that's a simple situation where they could probably complete an accurate return on their own. I would just say, just on the opposite side, people who have followed me know that um, in addition to working, I'm also a mom, really busy all of the time. I think that there's something to be said, even when you think you can do a return, there's a time value of money that we should all consider as professionals. And I do not do my own return. I have a CPA who does my return for me. And one of the reasons I used to joke early on, because I used to do it back in the day when we first started out. And I joke that to save my marriage, you know, we got an accountant. Part of that is true. It's because 
between running a business and running a family and then just kind of wanting to sit down on the weekends and breathe, I think it can be really distracting and time consuming. And again, I'm somebody who's familiar with what the form looks like. If you then add to that the complexities of trying to sort through, even if you have one of the you know tutorials on like a TurboTax type thing, you're still trying to sort it all out. So I think that Susie makes a really good point about, you know, can you do it? But I also think you should consider whether or not you want to do it. Good point. Yeah. Value your time. Nando, do you kind of feel the same? Um, uh, yes, I, I think I'm on the fence between both Susie and, and Kelly. I think doing your taxes on your own, if you're doing it with a W-2, I'm not a fan of tax software because, you know, these tasks, the software are not equally made the same, you know, because it depends on a question, how you answered it. It could drive you to another different types of cre- tax credit. I mean, we've had clients where they didn't enter the right income, you know, because they were specifically trying to get the child tax credit and, you know, they didn't answer the right question. So I think it just varies and it depends on the situation on each person. And it's how you feel what is best for your situation at that time. I think you you guys are hitting on some really important things there. If you have one W-2 and a 1040, you know, you're just doing a basic tax return with just one W-2, maybe it does make sense. But like Fernando mentioned, depending on what, what software you're picking and going through, there could be some major loopholes that get you in a world of trouble pretty quickly. Susie and Fernando specifically, do you have specific situations that you've seen where maybe somebody tried it by themselves and should have picked a tax professional? Well, Brandon, I think if you're self-employed, you have a rental, you have a lot of investments, you have just different things going on on your tax return, it can get very confusing when you're trying to use a self-help software and mistakes can be made. I wouldn't do plumbing because I'm not a plumber. I would hire a plumber because that's their niche. Then I definitely wouldn't try to do my tax return if I didn't really know a lot about it. The more complex you get, the more help you're going to need. I agree with Susie. It depends on on your specific needs. We had a client that had a piece of land and he didn't know that he can qualify for some farm credits. It just depends on the need. It's good to get uh, some consultation with a professional. Can I just say that I love Fernando's story just now, because I think often when we talk about why you should have a tax professional, there's a really heavy emphasis on all of the things that could go wrong, like the bad stuff, like don't do it on your own because what if you make a mistake and you have to pay? I I actually love this story because I think that oftentimes, and I say this to my freelancers because I think that they tend to under deduct, not over, is Mm -hmm. that the nice thing about professional is that often they save you money. They're the ones pointing and saying like, you know, with this tax credit or or something else, or they ask you a question that maybe you hadn't thought about, you know, like, oh, that's right. I did take an extra trip this year to a conference and it was work related. And Mm -hmm. I am a schedule C filer, especially in small business owners who might not be aware of all the things that are deductible because they kind of get caught up in all of the, you know, you can't deduct your home office and that's a schedule A. They don't understand now that they can still do it on a schedule C. So I just think especially business owners and self-employed persons, you know, there's so much value that a tax professional brings. That's a great point. Yeah. And it made me think too, I mean, this, this year we could be running into scenarios where people are looking at the refunds and saying, wait a second, this is a lot lower than it's been the past few years. Mm-hmm. It's that way because of tax law changes and things that have changed. But you know, I, I think it would be, but to your point, a tax professional would be able to dig in and find some things that you haven't been doing that could get that refund back up to kind of what you're expecting if that's the scenario. But I think a lot of folks are going to fall into that category this year and be like, oh man, what, what happened here? <laughs> What's going on? Right. And to kind of tag on to what Kelly was saying, I incorporate 
tax planning in my services. Some companies, we do it every quarter. Some companies, we do it once a year. But it helps the businesses and the business owners figure out where they're at, where they can save. Do they need to make changes to their business plan because something's not working? And definitely think that's a benefit to hiring a professional. Yeah, excellent. That's a great tip and point to an added benefit of a professional. Absolutely. You know, there are tax attorneys. And Kelly, is there ever a time where you may need a tax attorney and why? Yes, actually, I hope so. Or otherwise, uh, I'm in the wrong business. But um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, I think there's a lot of reasons why you might need a tax attorney. And I will say right off the bat, I write a lot and speak a lot to a lot of folks who have a lot of different credentials. And I think sometimes people get hung up on the credentials. I will say that a tax attorney isn't always the best person for every job any more than any other credential person might be. But there are certain things that tax attorneys can do that other um, professionals might not be able to just because of the license, right? So one of the things that pops up is when people come to my office, because I do a lot of controversy work, the prep's already been done and someone has come calling. Typically IRS has come calling and they have questions. Sometimes those questions can be easily resolved by other tax professionals. But if it's this kind of scenario that you're looking at and you're thinking, you know what, this might end up in court, Oftentimes, the tax attorney will be the only person that can represent you in court, depending on the kind of court that you're looking at. Be sure to ask your tax attorney up front whether or not they're even licensed to be in front of the U.S. tax court. I have been on the other side of situations where opposing party did not have proper counsel because counsel had not been licensed to practice in front of the tax court and assumed that attorney equaled tax court. And that's not always the case. Tax credit seems scary and it seems like kind of big dollar things, but that's not always the case. I've handled a number of innocent spouse cases. Those tend to get petitioned, even if they don't get heard in front of the tax court. A lot of times people will proactively file something in tax court to preserve their options while they're trying to resolve a tax dispute in another capacity or administratively. So I think the big why you might need an attorney would be if it's going to end up in court and not just tax court, sometimes lower courts, probate court is another example. Mm -hmm. And then I will also just kind of flip to one of the things that Susie was saying. She does a lot of planning work. Our firm does planning work as well on the tax side. And some of those kinds of scenarios are also necessarily things that an attorney must do. Estate planning is a really good example. Other examples are forming entities and giving business advice. You know, sometimes those are gray areas, but sometimes those things must be done by an attorney, especially things like partnerships where you might want agreements, legal agreements. My big takeaway today, because I could like go on for a whole laundry list of why you might want an attorney, but, you know, ask questions early on when you have something that you have a question about, and it doesn't matter who the credential person is, ask them, you know, what does this look like? Does this feel like something that might go to court? What kind of, of advice would you give me? And then start thinking about those things. If, if a tax professional tells you, this is not my area of specialty, don't take that as a, I have to go out and find a new tax professional because our office works with CPAs, EAs, all kinds of tax professionals in all kinds of ways. Ask them who they recommend and then you can continue to keep the relationship that you have with the person that you're comfortable with for the stuff that they're good at. Great tips there. So Susie and Fernando, if you could, do you have any specific stories of any clients that did it on their own and then all of a sudden they show up the next year and be like, uh, I need your help? Or they get a letter from the IRS? Well, I'm currently working on a case right now. They filed their own returns for a couple of years and they had pulled money out of a Roth and done a couple other things. And they were of the mindset, 
if I'm not making any money, I don't have to put it on the return. They have a rental. She's a realtor, you know, just different things like that. And they kept working with the IRS on trying to fix this Roth distribution that shouldn't have been taxable, but the way they were putting it on the return, the IRS was making it taxable and they couldn't fill out the form properly. And after about seven times, they finally said they gave up and I filled out the form. They signed it. We sent it in zero tax due, you know, and, and we're amending the 21 because they didn't put the rental on because they didn't make any money. They had a loss. So they just figured doesn't matter. And I'm like, mm, that doesn't work that way. And, you know, with her business. And so, you know, it was a learning experience for them and they're like, okay, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> what, what's that thing they say sometimes? Wow. That escalated quickly. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it's like the snowball of, Oh my, now I got this and this and this. Uh-huh. Fernando, do you have any specific ones you want to share? Some of the tax returns where, you know, the children inherit properties, you know, the parents just gift the property to the kids and not realizing their rental income. And the next thing you know, they get a tax bill because they're not reporting that income and things weren't properly done. You know, they just said, this is your property with no trail of paper or anything. The parents are still responsible for the properties and they get these tax notices and the kids are like, well, I thought this was my property. And we were able to help them sort things out. There's appropriate paperwork that needs to be done, the forms that when you show your inheriting property and transferring them to the kids, those things, they have to be completed and done. And, you know, most of them are stressed out, you know, at this time when they get those letters from the IRS. And so it's a bit difficult for them to digest and go through this process. So a good one too. And I think we're, we're seeing an increase in letters and things coming from the IRS and that may continue here over the next year or two. They start to kind of catch up on some backlog. So it could be a scenario where somebody did the return, you know, three years ago and they're like, oh, I'm good. And then all of a sudden they get something. It's like, wow, what do I do? What if somebody does get audited? Okay. So let's say you're getting audited. Should you try that on your own or should you hire a pro as well to help you? I think I know where this answer is going. I would definitely not try that on my own. I haven't had clients try it at first. And once you say something, you cannot unsay it. So like, no, you are not speaking to this, whether it be a TCO or a revenue officer or an agent or anything. It's like, no, you are not talking to them. You know, sometimes it's a simple CP2000 letter where you have to make one change or you forgot something and we can guide them through that process. Other times they want to look at your entire Schedule C and now you've got to come up with all that information. and. Having worked with the IRS for many years, there's a process that if you kind of do it the same way, it's going to make it a little bit easier. You're entitled to representation, and I definitely think you should have it. I would echo Susie's point that I think that a lot of times taxpayers, because they're nervous when they represent themselves, they overstate. I've had people that have said things like, you know, there's no way I cheated on my business because I've been putting all my money in my rental and they didn't mention that they had a rental, right? So I think (laughs) the nice thing about having a professional is that we've heard these questions before. When they ask a question, we know what IRS is looking for. If we don't, we can go back and suss out what it is that we need to provide and the amount of information. I'll give you a great example. I'm working on a matter right now and I had the client email me a very long letter this morning that they would like for me to forward to the RO. 
Um, and um, that's not going to happen for many reasons. One is because without going into too much detail, the matter was resolved like a few hours later. I don't know that it would have been if I had forwarded that letter. The nice thing about a professional is that we can be gatekeepers sometimes, both for records and also for information both ways, right? Like we can communicate clearly to the client what the IRS is looking for and vice versa. And time, I think responding quickly to those letters, some people hold on to them. You know, and it's unfortunate because there's a grace period that you need to respond back. And sometimes if you don't provide that information, it adds on to the more complex issues that you're going to have later on with the IRS. So mm-hmm. the quick advice would be is to respond quickly. If you don't know what the letter says, take it to a tax professional that can provide you some guidance. And maybe that tax professional will refer you to a tax attorney or a CPA that mm-hmm. may not have the skills to be able to assist you with that situation or based on your matter. But I I do tell our tax clients that the minute you get a letter, call your tax professional and say, hey, I got a call. Uh, What does it say? Why do I owe this tax liability? And the sooner, the better you can take care of it. They see those letters, they see those envelopes and the fear just overtakes them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, clients come in with stacks of letters unopened. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, Oh, no, I know. You mean, you mean if I if I I have to open those? No. I'm just gonna... <laughs> so, yeah. You, know, you mean they don't just disappear if you don't open right. them? That it's invisible ink and it runs away or something? Well, you know, I just try to tell my clients that these agencies, the people that work for these agencies, they're just people mm-hmm. doing their job. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're not some secret company that's going to come out and try to steal everything that you have. It's just the fear factor that. Mm-hmm. I try to I try to dispel that quickly. What I was going to say is that I've been writing um, my column for years and every year someone asks me for advice and consistently my number one piece of advice is always open your mail. Always. <laughs> it's the number one piece. I think that, that as Susie pointed out, I think it's the thing that tends to you know trip people up. And as Fernando pointed out, there are deadlines that you need to adhere to. And I too, I've told people, bring me your unopened mail. Like we can mm-hmm. open it together. I'd rather they do that, that than not. Mm-hmm. And I've had situations where clients literally had refund checks or notices of <laughs> refunds that they were due that they didn't even know about because they oh, were just wow. scared to open. Well, because if you haven't filed or if you haven't filed in years, mm-hmm. you just you assume the worst all of the time. If I could ask you guys, since I have professionals on here, obviously. So can you explain the representation rights differences between like a CRTP, so a California Registered Tax Preparer, versus an EA, CPA, and attorney? Well, I can tell you the, the attorney part. Which there, is, we go. there we go. We, uh, <laughs> we don't have a relationship until you have a signed retainer letter in, in hand. That's important. I think people get really confused about the attorney-client privilege and what they can say. And so generally that comes with representation, which means that things that you tell me, I'm not going to repeat to third parties, you know, unless obviously law enforcement, that's a different issue. Actually, though, there is a case right now in front of the Supreme Court that could change that. But in terms of relationship, my relationships are clearly spelled out in letters and what I'm doing for you, how much it's going to cost. And when the representation is over, you'll get a notice from me. Susie might have a similar situation is people tend to think that you're their lawyer or you're their tax person all the time. And that's true. Like I want to be your lawyer and your tax person all the time, but not for every matter, right? Because as we discussed in the beginning, there are some times when you're better off having somebody else help you. In terms of representation, I'm just really clear about what it is that I'm going to do for you, what your 
responsibilities are to me. Yes. To piggyback onto Kelly's explanations, definitely engagement letters are number one when someone does hire me to represent them and help them with their situations. We quite do the same thing, spell it all out. And if I believe that I actually need to contact, you know, they need to contact an attorney and then I need to work under that attorney. We definitely talk about that. I've had several cases where I'm like, okay, stop talking, contact this attorney, let him bring me in if he feels I need to come in because I don't want to know any more than I need to know. And um, I definitely want to spell everything out to them. And it's a partnership when you're working with a client and they hire you to represent them. They don't just walk away and you do it all. You have to work together. And well, for us, uh, you know, tax preparer, uh, obviously we have to be registered under California. You know, there's a CTEC registration for us and tax professionals can help eliminate some of the errors. We don't do tax attorney. We refer them CPAs. If they need a CPA, we'll refer them. Our office does accounting to a point where if we see that there's a need for a CPA, then we refer those companies over. But, you know, for a tax professional like us, we help somewhat eliminate some of the errors, ensure that your tax returns are prepared correctly. And and in terms that you don't miss those deductions and, you know, and then those deadlines. Some people, you'll be amazed that they miss April 15th. The <laughs> deadline for filing taxes is just amazing. So we have to remind these folks, hey, you know what? We noticed that you haven't filed your taxes. Oh, okay. It's like, you know, uh, uh, we have to get on them to to bring in their documentation. But, you know, I think as a tax professional, you benefit some of the money savings tax planning and some of the credits that, you know, that we can find. But, you know, we can advise the client. We work with them. We do our annual letter. We tell them what to bring as far as all the different documentations. If they have kids, we tell them to bring all the documentation, school documents and things that we need to verify. Because when they get those letters, uh, it's really difficult for them not to have that information. So that kind of brings you to one of my last questions. When you go to a tax pro, let's say we have somebody listening that's never used a tax pro before. They've just done the return on their own. And they decide, you know what, this year I'm going to go to a tax pro. What are some of the things they should be expecting as far as how the interaction should go with the preparer, um, what the responsibilities of the preparer are? Um, do they sign the return? Things like that. If you've never used a tax pro before and you walk in and, and use one this year, what should you expect? Well, I think they should expect communication. The professional needs to communicate with the client what they need, um, what their responsibilities are, what my responsibilities are. They come in and they say, well, here's my stuff. Just do the return and file it. I'm like, that's not how it works. I have to confirm that this is correct information. I have a list of questions I'm going to ask you. You're going to give me the answers. And at times I'm going to ask you for some additional documentation, like for your kids or college credits or just different things on the return. Because both of us, the client and the professional tax preparer, have to sign this return under penalties of perjury. And taxpayers may get audited and have to pay additional tax and some penalties. But as professionals, we have preparer penalties as well, where we can get hung up in a situation that could cause us to be penalized and sanctioned. And we don't want that to happen. So the number one thing on my list is always communication. I think for people that have never used a tax pro before, I think she, she hit on some very critical pieces there. And it's not, you know, the tax pro is not asking all this to try to figure out, you know, oh, I want to learn more about you. No, they know the things the IRS is looking for on the return when you're putting something on the return. They need to be asking questions. <laughs> like Susie said, if you just walk in and hand somebody your documents and they you know, throw the return back at you and say, have a great day, 
They didn't ask enough questions. That first meeting can also serve as a really good get to know you and see if mm-hmm. it's going to be a good fit early on. One of the things that I found, especially during the pandemic, there was an acceleration towards the use of technology. There's a huge wide spectrum of where tax preparers are on that, right? Like so you've still got your old school preparers and then you have people who'd never want to see a client in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you have to figure out what your level of comfort is as a taxpayer on that spectrum. If you walk into Susie's office and she has a lot of questions and she has paper forms and that's not your thing, that's good to know in the beginning. And conversely, if she starts telling you how to upload to a portal and you're my dad and you don't want to upload to a portal, <laughs> then, you know, ask ask if there's somebody else that you could work with. Because I do think that, you know, a lot of what I see when people leave in the middle of a representation or if a return wasn't done and they're unhappy, it's not whether or not the return was done right. I'm making air quotes for people who can't see me, but whether it's done right, um, yeah. it's, you know, how you felt about it as you went. And like what what your level of comfort was. And so I think it's so important early on when, you know, the tax preparer is asking you questions. That's also a really good time for you to ask them questions and just make sure it's a really good fit. All right. Well, I think we've covered quite a bit here. Does anybody else have any other last minute things you want to add before I wrap us up here? I, I would just say, I think just from this conversation that, you know, there's a lot of smart people in the tax world. My advice is to go find them. Even if you're not going to use them this year, go find them. Like follow them on social media, make some phone calls, figure out who they are. Um, because I do find, again, I do a lot of controversy work. It's the, the scramble at the end is always the most frustrating when you realize you do need somebody. And in April, is not the time to be looking for somebody to help you. So even if you're going to be one of those people that we talked about in the beginning that wants to do it on your own, just find someone that you think is smart and that kind of you know gels with your personality and just know who they are just in case you need them later. Yeah, and you can always go to ctech.org, right? And make sure that someone is registered that you're going to go see if they're a CRTP. Um, obviously, EAs and CPAs are exempt from being registered, but if you're just going to go to a tax pro and you you want to make sure that they are registered and have done all the trainings and everything that's needed in the state of California, uh, please go to ctech.org. All right, well, thank you guys so much. It's been awesome chatting with you all. I really appreciate it. Um, and I just mentioned it, but you know, for more information or tips, please go to the website, so ctech.org. Um, we also have a lot more episodes. Um, we, we did some chats with the IRS, FTP Taxpayer Advocate, State Enforcements, and others. So you can download all of them from there if you'd like. Also, there's a link to Fernando's Spanish version on there as well. Check that out. And please be sure to listen to Kelly's podcast. You can go to taxgirl.com and see where to download that and get some more information from her as well. Uh, Susie, Fernando, Kelly, I thank you guys so much for being on. I'm Brandon Chainley, and this has been Taxpayer Beware. We'll see you in the next episode.